Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. I sleep better at night knowing my family is protected if something ever happens to me since I was able to compare plans very easily at policygenius.com. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quote and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. All-inclusive vacations make life easy with endless eats, bottomless drinks, and never-ending fun. So booking an all-inclusive vacation should be easy too, right? That's where Apple Vacations comes in. Book your all-inclusive getaway with Apple Vacations and receive exclusive perks at select resorts. You'll find the best deals at Ryu Hotels and Resorts in Mexico, the Caribbean, and Central America, and enjoy a selection of exclusive nonstop vacation flights. Turn on Easy Mode at applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started. Visit applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started. Oh, should we start this show? Yeah, I'm down. Just buying a car in Carvana first. Ooh, for real? Yeah, it's super convenient. I already got pre-qualified in two minutes. All I had to do was answer a few questions. Ooh, that's helpful. And now just customizing my down and monthly payments. Ooh, that's a very fair deal. Yep. Boom. Just bought a car. And you get to take me to the Carvana vending machine in a couple days to pick it up. Ooh. I'm kind of busy. Visit Carvana.com to finance your next car. Financing subject to credit approval. Hi, I'm Molly Jongfast, and this is Fast Politics, where we discuss the top political headlines with some of today's best minds. We're off for the holidays, but that doesn't mean we don't have an amazing show for you today. NBC's Ryan Riley joins us to talk about his new book, Sedition Hunters, how January 6th broke the justice system. But first, we talk to Peter Salat of the Hometown Project about how they use celebrities to elect local officials. Welcome to Fast Politics, Peter Salat. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. This is such a cool project. So we are coming off this extremely good off-year election for Democrats. Before we start talking about what you are doing, I want to just take a moment because all of us who ingest the mainstream media, of which I am very much a part, a lot of us feel like we can't have a two-second victory lap here, but I was told that Glenn Youngkin was going to take over Virginia and make it Florida, and instead he lost both the House of Delegates And Democrats were able to keep the state Senate. And in numerous races, Democrats overperformed, including in Kentucky. So I just want when we go into this interview, because this is one of these things that is a thing that really does actually win elections like these kind of projects actually do. They flip seats. They flip Senate seats. They flip House seats. They flip governorships. They are the sort of nuts and bolts of activism. So with that very long winded introduction, tell us 
what exactly is the hometown project? So great to be here. And thanks so much. I, I do want to say really quickly, I think your point about celebrating victories is very well taken. One of the hometown board members is Piper Parabo, and, and she's a great actor and political activist. And she said to us at one point a few years ago, you know, look, we never celebrate our victories. So we're like already into 2024. We've we've just had this, this you know, great election. And, you know, I know for our org as well, we're kind of trying to already looking to 2024. And we've been doing so for a while. So it is good to celebrate victories because they allow us to ingest some of that positive energy that keeps us going. And if we're always in panic mode, we don't, you know, take the time to have that kind of that positivity, which, which leads to better outcomes in the end. Okay, so that's that's just about celebration. The Hometown Project started after the Trump election. I'm a musician by trade, played for many years in New York City, still do sometimes, did a lot of movie work. And for whatever reason, a lot of well-known people or people who ended up being well-known used to come and see me play. After the 2016 election, I was kind of thinking about what could I do? Like so many people, I was thinking, gosh, I didn't do enough. What could I have done? What could I have done? And I started talking to a bunch of different activists and I had a conversation with an environmental activist and he said, you know, when Mark Ruffalo went back to Kenosha, Wisconsin to talk about environmental issues, that was really powerful because he's from there. And a little light went off in my head. I thought, I know Mark Ruffalo. <laughs> what if we could get Mark and people like Mark to support local candidates in their hometowns. So these races that are so important that are decided often by 500 votes, a thousand votes, could we get someone well-known to support them? And in, in the beginning, my thought process was, oh, we'll get them to go back and lead a rally, that kind of thing. But, you know, after going about it for a year or two, it came very clear. These are busy people. They don't have time necessarily lining up when they might be returning home or getting arranging all the travel is way beyond our capacity. However, if they could take 20 minutes and just make a video on their phone, we send them a script. We then take that video, we slap some graphics on it with the candidate's name, their picture, and then we digitally distribute that content within the district. Then we are reaching a lot of the right voters within that district. That's kind of just a little overview of what we do. So give us an example of a place where this happens and how this goes. So we were in both Virginia and New Jersey this year. It's our fourth cycle in Virginia. Nadarius Clark, for example, is running in the Hampton Roads area, uh, running for House of Delegates in a new district. And Wanda Sykes is also from Portsmouth, or she grew up there. Or she She's from Portsmouth, New Hampshire? No, Portsmouth, Virginia. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> <It was> like... <laughs> we define hometown in a bunch of different ways, essentially. It's where people feel like they have roots. So Connie Britton did something for She's from Virginia. She works with us in Virginia all the time, but she's also well-known for spending a lot of time in Texas for Friday Night Lights. So some, you know, she something for us in Texas there too, because she feels an affinity with that area. So Wanda Sykes from Portsmouth, we work with state-based grassroots partners, which can be an organization like Clean Virginia, who we worked with uh, this past year in Virginia. They're an advocacy organization whose primary goal is to disrupt the power monopoly. And they poured a lot of money into the Virginia elections this year. And they won and it worked. Or it could be, for example, in New Jersey, we work with the New Jersey Democratic Caucus. So 
they had three priority districts. New Jersey, their their state senate and a state assembly run as a slate because it's the, it's the same district. It's just one senator and two assembly people per district. So they had three slates that they were their, their highest priority slates. The grassroots partner says, hey, here's our top nine, top 12, top 15 candidates. These are the people that we think are going to be in the tightest races. And then we come in and we say, you know, we do the research. And I want to give a shout out to our incredible executive director of the Hometown Project, Aaron Frederick, without whom none of this would be possible. What we do is then we go, we take those candidates. We say, okay, that, that they're from a specific area. Let's do the research, see who is well-known that is from that area. And then because I've been in the entertainment business for a while, and now we've done this for a while, people have had a positive experience. So... At its core, the kind of front of camera entertainment industry is pretty small. So it's not that hard for me to reach a lot of different people. So then I say, okay, well, look, Wanda Sykes is from Portsmouth. Clean Virginia needs, we call them hometown energizers. That's our term for the well-known person. They need somebody from that area. Oh, look, Wanda Sykes is from there. Who knows Wanda? Well, look, it turns out Mark Ruffalo knows Wanda. He puts us in touch. And she makes a video for us. And so that's the way we work. Your dream is to get Taylor Swift, right? <laughs> Let's be honest. Well. To run for Senate. To run Sorry. for Senate. Yeah, that would be amazing. Marsha Blackburn, bye-bye. How great would that be? That would be amazing. I mean, she honestly does not have time to, uh, to be in this. No, she does not. <laughs> She's got better things to do. The Taylor Swift question is fascinating because I think we get it all the time. And I think it speaks to how people have thought about celebrity in the political space and how what we feel like we're doing at the Hometown Project is different from that. Taylor is a, she's a megastar. She's a supernova. But if we are counting on Taylor Swift to save democracy, we're fucked. I so appreciate all the things that she's done and her document, the documentary about her is great. Yeah. For us, we're like, hey, look, somebody could be from a local area they may not be nationally hugely known, but within their local area, they're actually really well known. The local papers written about them since they got their first part on that TV show 10 years ago. And, you know, we've got that little lower third, the biographical information, which says exactly where they're from. Bergen County's Melissa Fermero. And so the thing is, is those connections are real and they're, they, you know, we get it all the time. Like, <laughs> this, I, I won't name names. But this most recent time in Clean Virginia, they said to us, oh, just so you know, this person that you're trying to reach, his sister used to date the candidate. You know what I mean? So it's like right. these are local races where right. the so-and-so's babysitter used to, you know, babysit this a cousin or, what, you know, it's like the, this used to, they used to be their second grade teacher or whatever those things are. Those local connections are real and and we don't have, you know. Well, we don't need, I mean, I think the point is that the people want their local people to come back, right? I mean, that's a very meaningful thing, even if they're not superstars. Exactly. To me, part of this work that was so key as we were thinking about it from the beginning is our danger zone is the kind of like, who are these Hollywood elites coming in, tell me what to do, you know, that kind of thing. Right, right, right. And so if we sidestep that and we say, no, this is not a Hollywood elite person. This is somebody who is from your community. They understand their, their, your community. They grew up there. They're 
siblings might live there, their parents or whatever it is. We really try to avoid that sense of it's not a generalized person. And then from our perspective, if I'm going out to Patton Oswald and I'm saying, hey, Patton, would you support a candidate like Russet Perry, who's running in a district that includes a lot of Loudoun County when you, where you grew up? He's 10 times more likely to say, yeah, that sounds good. I want to do that versus, hey, could you support this generalized political cause that doesn't really have anything to do with what his personal life story. So it's it's much easier for me to recruit people because they want to help out their hometown community. Yes, exactly. And I think that is a really good point. And I agree. Like, this is the whole thing about democracy, right, is we love these places we come from. I know how I feel about New York City, where I grew up and my parents grew up. And when the pandemic came, like, I did not go. I just stayed here because this is my place. This is where I'm from. And there was no other place to go. I mean, this is it. And so the idea, right, this is not some celebrity parachuting in. This is someone who is a person of the place. That's right. And so because we're connected to the grassroots organization as well, if there's things that the candidate wants to stress or things the organization feels like is resonating with voters, then, you know, we can integrate that into the content as opposed to being some national organization that kind of says, oh, these are the national issues that everybody's running on or whatever it is. You know, it's, is it about fixing Route 29, you know, more than it's about some sort of other issue. And it's also just about like bringing the people who care about a place, bringing them back, right? I mean, that's kind of the larger issue because, I mean, one of the things I think a lot about is Peter Thiel. And I'm sorry, I apologize to Jesse for this tangent, which will likely get us sued. But Peter Thiel got so excited about Blake Masters and worked so hard on this Blake Masters campaign. And and Carrie Lake, too, ran for governor. I mean, Carrie Lake is from Arizona, but it was a sense in which you had a vision for the state that may not have actually been what the state was, right? This was a person who lived in Miami or wherever it is, Peter Thiel is, where he had a vision of what he wanted the government to look like, of what he wanted. You know, he had candidates that he had sort of decided were people who could win in these. and, And that's not what this is about, right? This is about people who come from a place endorsing candidates who come from that place because they think it will serve their community. That's right. And and the candidates we're supporting, we always feel like are the ones that are better connected to their community. These are local races. And I think that this is, again, we, we've seen celebrity used in a national sense. Three days before the election, there's a big rally in Springsteen plays and all that. And again, not to, I, I'm a huge Springsteen fan. It's not about that. It's just, think, can we think about this in a different way where to actually prioritize We see now how important state legislatures are, how many decisions are made at that level. We talk about abortion, we talk about Medicaid expansion, gun safety, the minimum wage. So many decisions are made at the state legislature, not not to mention gerrymandering, which impacts Congress. So many decisions are made at that level, yet for so long, the funding model has been so kind of devoted to Congress, Senate, and presidential races, and we've missed the boat in so many ways. And I, I, first of all, I want to say to you, 
it's so great that you've had local candidates from Virginia on your show. Jesse and I have had all, I was like watching the results and I was like, wait, we had that person on our show. We had that person. Nobody does this on the progressive and the democratic side. There's the funding is screwed. It's such a blind spot and it's very hard as a small organization who does effective work, who, you know, last year in Michigan, we worked with the Michigan Democratic Party. We had, I got 16 famous people from Michigan to support over 20 state ledge candidates. And we're not some magic bullet, but we're, we're a part of something that if you focus on these areas, you can, in theory, change an entire state legislature for as much as one single Senate seat. You know, it's like, do we need to raise $100 million to run against Mitch McConnell in Kentucky? Or can that money be better used? Flipping legislatures, which will ultimately, I mean, the reason why Virginia didn't have an abortion ban in 2022 was because they miraculously kept the state Senate. That's right. Exactly. And that was part of a lot of hard work that was done by a lot of people, even though at the top of that ticket, we don't need to go into the <laughs> red vest wearing fake moderate. So and they were able to, you know, utilize some of the fear mongering tactics. Yeah. For us, the other thing I want to say about our content is we sidestep again all of that negativity. All of our content is positive. We never mention opponent. We barely ever mention party. The things that we're trying to do with these short 30 second spots and banner ads is it's a sense of connection and community and shared values. So in the beginning, we had people and they were always talking about issues, issues, issues. And we're like, okay, what we realize is issues resonate with people like us who are, you know, in the kind of people power demographic, essentially. We're into politics all the time. But for the much more casual voter that are the actual voters that we need to reach to win elections, we can't be relying on just revving people up with a sense of fear and anger. We have to talk about a shared set of values, and they may not be well-versed on what the actual issues are, but if we can talk about a shared set of values, and if we can do it from our perspective with a well-known person that is pleasing and draws people in and to the point where we then we see right away that candidate's name, the candidate's image comes down, and then people are shown that ad, we try to get saturation. So we're trying to get people to watch it between 10 and 14 times. Some part of our content, whether it's the video or the banner ad, in the two weeks leading up to the election. We found in Virginia, we ran a, an RCT and a study in 2021. Voters that had received, you know, a randomized control trial and voters that had received our content were 8.6% more likely to know the name of their local candidate. And so in, we're talking about races that are decided by really small margins. And that's the most important thing that we can do for these local candidates is raise their name recognition. So people actually, when they're going into that voting booth, they remember, they're like, oh, that's right. Wanda Sykes, I saw that. I saw that ad. She had Nadarius Clark on there. He's awesome. Let me vote for him. Yeah, exactly. Thank you so much, Peter. This was super interesting, great. And you're doing the work, man. Great to be with you and, and admire all that you do. 
I sleep better at night knowing my family is protected if something ever happens to me since I was able to compare plans very easily at PolicyGenius.com. With PolicyGenius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using PolicyGenius. Head to PolicyGenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quote and see how much you could save. That's PolicyGenius.com. Hey guys, it's Ray from the Bobby Bone Show here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Let's go! Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain from the road to the hills to the trails all over. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating, up to eight passengers, yeah. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer. Check out amazing national sales event deals on RAV4s, Highlanders, and more. Visit buyatoyota.com. That's buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud, Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less, like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. Your tax refund belongs to you, not an identity thief. Over $6 billion in tax refunds were flagged by the IRS for possible identity theft in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. LifeLock monitors and alerts you to identity threats you may miss on your own, even if you're careful with your personal information. And if you do become the victim of tax-related identity fraud, LifeLock has U.S.-based restoration specialists ready to help solve your identity theft issues. Plus, all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package, meaning LifeLock will reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Let LifeLock help you protect your financial information so all you have to worry about is what to do with your tax refund. Go to LifeLock.com news and save up to 25% your first year. That's 25% off at LifeLock.com news. Identity theft protection starts here. Ryan Riley is an NBC News justice reporter and author of Sedition Hunters, How January 6th Broke the Justice System. Welcome to Fast Politics, Ryan Riley. 
Thanks so much for having me. So the book is called Sedition Hunters, how January 6th broke the justice system. Tell me how you got to writing this book. You know, when January 6th happened, I took this approach that, oh my gosh, this is going to take over my beat. And I was sort of bummed about it. And I was just figuring it was going to be case after case after case and sort of the same thing over and over and over again. I thought the scope of it would be big at that point, but I didn't realize the full scope of it because, you know, initially after the Capitol was breached, the number that was being thrown out there, it was like 800 cases. And in reality, the number of people who could be charged is north of 3,000. Right now we're at about 1,200, but there's a lot more left to go in the two plus years that they have left of the statute of limitations. But then I really sort of got to working with these sleuths and it just became this really fascinating story. I had never been ahead of so many FBI investigations before. It was not something I was used to. I was used to covering what the FBI sort of did and afterwards and, oh, there's a case being brought forward. But having the sort of prior knowledge of all of these these criminals was quite something. And it became this this thing that's just really strange where now it's like, oh, they finally brought that case, right? It's not this thing that I'm surprised by something that comes up. It's like, oh, this is coming down the pipeline. They're waiting for this one. Oh, finally, they got to that. So it's been this really interesting thing and I think um, has just really sort of revolutionized and, and brought up a lot of deeper issues within uh, the FBI about their sort of falling behind on the technology front. But they were sort of rescued by the American people on the technology front, right? Explain to us that story. Indeed, they really were. This all sort of happened on the platform formerly known as Twitter initially. There would be these photos that were posted. There was this really horrific photo posted a few days after January 6th of an officer being dragged down the steps of the Capitol face first. And that's sort of what set all of this off. And there was someone who sort of sent out that photo and said, let's identify everyone in this photo. So they started giving everyone names and hashtags. And the nicknames became a huge part of this because it helps people track various people throughout the day. Because you're dealing with just such an overwhelming amount of evidence that it's really tough to organize. And that's one of the things that the FBI has really, really struggled with. And that's where sort of this crowdsourcing really came in handy. And initially, you know, this was done out in public via hashtags. But in the years since, it's really more behind the scenes. And a number of these sleuths are feeding information to the FBI that's really assisted them. I mean, there are cases that are soup to nuts completely built by these online sleuths. And the FBI basically just has to press the button or or sign the form. And then there are other cases that would have been brought forward anyway, but then the sleuths are really aiding in those investigations and bringing up new information that the government was unaware of. So this really is an interesting situation where internet, you know, the people who are so met with such disdain by a lot of people, I mean, a lot of people who I think of in, you know, in the sort of journalism world, not and not just journalism, but a lot of these other worlds tend to have disdain towards these people. And in fact, they kind of save the day. So talk to us a little bit about that, because that's really interesting. You know, I've covered the FBI for a long time now, and I always sort of knew that they were not as, you know, they were not the Hollywood image that <laughs> that we see portrayed on television. Right. But this really sort of just shattered it for me, uh, getting involved with the Sleuths and how far behind they were in a lot of this stuff. I remember early on when I started covering the FBI, there was a roundtable. This was probably a decade ago now. 
with James Comey, you know, a bunch of reporters were brought in. And I remember it being like a thing that I was the only digital reporter there, right? Because they weren't sort of used to that. And the top of right. the FBI spokesperson at the time was like, so do you like this? This was when I was at HuffPost. And they were like, so do you guys, you know, do you guys print a newspaper? And like, it's like, no, no, we don't. So that was maybe a little bit of a sign of things to come in the FBI's use of technology. But if you just think about the feeders for who goes into the FBI, it doesn't make a lot of sense if you're really technologically skilled that you would join an organization like the FBI because, gosh, they can send you anywhere across the country. They can send you somewhere you don't want to live. And just also the, the pay scale is a huge thing. Also, you can't smoke pot, right? And like... <laughs> That's a thing, you know, like everyone laughs when I say that, but like James Comey himself has pointed this out. Like they actually ended up relaxing the rule a little bit more, but like what tech person do you know who hasn't smoked pot? Like at least three times in their life. No, that's not a thing, right? And now it's like the FBI will value, okay, you have to smoke, you have to stop using, you know, marijuana for a year, I guess, before you apply. But, you know, it's just, there are a lot of these things and and most, I think, you know, predominantly being the pay scale issue that really are sort of holding them back. And it's a real issue because this is the most important thing of our time. Like open source investigations and technological skills are really what the FBI desperately needs. And I think it's something that they're struggling to keep up with right now. Yeah. So tell me like a sort of example of one of these cases. So let's take a guy named Logan Barnhart. So Logan Barnhart was a construction worker. He used to work with his dad. They had a falling out. Uh, he was sort of on his own. You know, he's a lot, lot of photos of him operating heavy machinery. He's also a very fit guy, like to work out a lot. Turned out he was a bodybuilder back in the day. I mean, he was also on the cover of some romance novels. And so he was one of these individuals, spoiler alert, who dragged a cop down the Capitol stairs. And it was a little difficult for the sluice to ID him at first because he was kind of covered up, right? So they nicknamed him Cat Sweat because he was wearing a Caterpillar brand sweatshirt. And that's how they sort of followed him the whole day. But, you know, he had sunglasses on, his mat, his face was covered part of the time. He had a hat on. It wasn't the best shot you could get of him from a facial recognition standpoint. But using some of the technology that the sleuths developed, in fact, the app, one of these apps that I refer to in the book, they were able to sort of bring all this information together. And the best way to think of this is sort of like your iPhoto library in that if you told me like, hey, uh, I'm trying to find this photo of X person but I don't know when it was taken, right? What you can do on your phone is just sort of swipe up and it'll show you as internal facial recognition. So it'll show you every one of the photos of your friends, basically. You know, and even for my kids, it takes them from when they were babies to to current day. It follows them all the way through. The facial recognition is pretty good. And that's sort of the best way to think of what the sleuths are able to do here. So they found a really good shot of him where he had his sunglasses off. And it was just this YouTube video that they had archived a while back Somebody had very quickly panned over the crowd at the ellipse during Trump's speech. And at that point, Logan Barnhart did not have his sunglasses on. And that internal facial recognition matched him with the person who was at the Capitol steps dragging down, dragging a cop down the stairs. So then you had a full face shot without the sunglasses when his sunglasses are on you know, strapped to his chest or something. And then he run that through a facial recognition search and then what pops up is all of his bodybuilding photos and all of the photos of him on the cover of romance novels. So as a result of all of this, a few authors of romance novels have had to change the cover of their books. Oh, wow. Uh, 
what he done because he's on a bunch of them. I think one of them was yeah. something to do with, with stepbrothers and, you know, or stepbrother or some sort of thing. That's basically how they were able to find this in the end was using this facial recognition. And then the way that they confirmed this, this facial recognition isn't enough for them before they sent this into the FBI. They went to his Instagram and then th- there they found uh, an image of him wearing a hat, he was, uh, the same hat that he wore to the Capitol on January 6th. They found him punching a punching bag, wearing that same sweatshirt that he wore people on January 6th. These people <laughs> so, are kind of dumb, right? I mean, these people are kind of dumb. Some of them are tougher than you would think. That was still a lot of investigative work, but like right. some of the ones that are really the huge breakthroughs are when you have somebody who was like completely covered head to toe, did a really good job of covering their face, and then they'll still find it. And one of the, the crazy stories there was somebody who was just completely covered and they couldn't get a good face shot out of him. As it turned out, somebody else was filming behind them at one point and they opened up their phone and what was their back screen, but the name of their LLC, their company that they founded, and there it was. That was it. So someone took all of these precautions but because their lock screen was the name of their LLC, they were ID. So it's you never know what detail is really going to break this through. And the FBI just really isn't structured to investigate things in this really collaborative way. They're sort of very siloed off into these individual investigations. And that's the real thing. I think the secret that the SLUs have been able to bring to this is that collaboration and those technological skills. So interesting. Did you kind of get to know these people? Can you sort of explain to our listeners a little bit about what they were, what they're like and in whatever vague terms you want? Yeah. So, I mean, they're from all over the country, sort of all the different walks of life. The things that all this is spoiling a little bit of the book. But one of the things that really shocks people is that one of the key figures here, who I name Alex, actually voted for Donald Trump twice. Wow. So strange. Not what you'd expect. Not at all. And it just sort of came up in a conversation where they were all talking about, you know, oh, who sort of, you know, where's that was their primary figure or who was their, you know, they voted for in the Democratic primary. And he sort of made this joke and people just thought it was a joke at first. And he's like, no, no, like it, I did. He's sort of, I think, now he describes himself as more of a Liz Cheney Republican. But even when he's, I think he's more in the Democratic camp now, he was a successful guy. So I think that a lot of this was just, you know, economics for him. Right. That is something that shocks a lot of people when you hear that this isn't just, you know. He didn't like crime, right? There are a lot of Republicans who voted for Trump, but didn't like crime. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons that a lot of the slews, in addition to sort of just building up this trust over, you know, more than two years, two and a half years, almost three years now, this was one of the reasons I think they spoke with me was they were really interested in shattering some of these myths that people think of. Like the the pushback you get is, oh, oh, look at all these losers in their mom's basement, you know, going through this material. And like, you know, one of them was was sort of, I think, antagonized by somebody on Twitter one time and responded back like, no, dude, I make more money than you. And I work in cancer research. They have a very wide array of people. And like these people are really successful, have really rich family lives. But this is something also it sort of became this this passion and this hobby of theirs, which, you know, hooked up with sort of their interests. But it really is intriguing and can feel like this puzzle. And you really do get these little adrenaline bursts when, you know, you have these IDs and you figure out a piece of this puzzle that is not known more broadly. Yeah, I mean, such an interesting and I mean, just such a crazy kind of story. So explain to me what happened. I mean, did people feel that they had been 
taken advantage of by Trump. I mean, all these people end up in jail or, you know, facing thousands and thousands of dollars of legal. A lot of them do have sort of come to Jesus moments, right? Some of them. And it's sometimes tough to figure out whether it's really a come to Jesus moment or whether it's sort of an act for the judge. I think there are a lot of people who were legitimately remorseful and sort of realized they got duped. But what's sort of fascinating about this, and it's not something that judges can or should take into consideration is that there's such a deep link between still believing the conspiracies and being apologetic, right? Like, if you still believe that the 2020 election was stolen and that Joe Biden is a unlawful president usurper in the White House and you didn't do anything too serious, it's like, what would you be apologetic for? So that's kind of the interesting dynamic for me when it's so intertwined, right? There shouldn't be a situation where judges are like, forcing people to admit, hey, no, the election was legitimate, right? That's not, this is America, right? People are free to believe whatever crazy conspiracy they want to believe. But it just is so remarkable because it is so intertwined in your mind. And I try to put myself in their shoes and it's like, you know, if I deeply believe that the election was stolen and I'm getting in trouble because I, you know, walked in a building, you can see why some of these people would be really angry. But on the other side of the coin, there are people who just realize they were completely tricked and Cool. Then, you know, personally, as an American, those are the most rewarding moments when I'm sitting in court and like you have someone be like, just full, sort of lay themselves out there and say, I can't believe I fell for this crap. Right. And like, right. right, and right. I, I, I'm ashamed and I'm embarrassed. And like, you know, I, I don't know if I were on, if I were on the bench, I think that would have a lot of sway over me for someone to actually sort of state the truth and realize how dumb all of us in the first place. God, it's such an interesting and strange kind of problem. So, I mean, what happens to these people who are the sluice? Do they keep going? There are a lot more people, right? I mean, not everyone's been charged, so. Yeah, so like I said, the scope is like above 3,000. Right now, the FBI knows about the identities of about 1,000 people who haven't been arrested. So that's almost double the number of people who in nearly three years have been charged. And so really, you know, you're kind of getting to the situation one law enforcement official sort of com- compared it to the Titanic, right? Where it's like, okay, you know, not everyone's getting off of this boat. Right. So what cases are you going to do before that statute of limitations expires? Because really now, you know, it's really just a little over two years. Uh, there's a five-year statute of limitations. And, and so, you know, you would think that the priority would be more towards some of these more violent offenders. And we've seen a little bit of that shift in in recent months, but I think there hasn't been this sort of collective, from what I've heard in the sources I talked to, there hasn't been this collective consideration within DOJ of just like what, how, how the clock is ticking and how many cases there are yet to go. And I, what I've heard from, you know, the book is, for people who've read the book, is that that's sort of, you know, been sort of clarifying for them and has pushed right. forward a little bit more momentum within, within DOJ to make sure that they're sort of getting, getting, Things going because in order to get to anywhere near those thousand cases that they have identified right now, they really need to just start pushing, you know, the pedal to the metal. So crazy. I mean, it's just such an incredible story. So do people continue to do this? I mean, is there sort of or do they kind of go back to their normal lives or is there, I mean, you know, this is less time intensive than it was before because there are just so many IDs sitting out there. But now, you know, some of the slews are getting requests from the Bureau. One of the most shocking moments to me was actually not that long ago. It was in the Proud Boys trial uh, earlier this year. Um, And the FBI had worked on this investigation involving five Proud Boys, seditious conspiracy trial, one of their biggest cases. 
for two years, right? They had had this, they had really put all the resources into this, but they had missed a really major moment in which Zachary Real, one of the defendants, a proud boy from Philly, pepper sprayed a cop. And the only reason that this came up was because the government had released other footage in connection with another case that was then published online that the sleuths are sucked up. And over this long weekend, when Zachary Real was on the stand after denying over and over again that he had assaulted any officers that day, and in fact, the government never accused him specifically of assaulting any officers, the sleuths used a long weekend and found this footage and found an image of him, video of him pointing pepper spray at a cop and found another angle on it as well. And it was wow. just a moment that the FBI completely missed. And that was really just one of these moments because I saw how this operated and then I saw them sort of, you know, it was just really dramatic courtroom moment because the guy then is on the stand after lying about what he did and then has to, has to resort to, he said he did not recall assaulting any law enforcement officers Jesus. and try. Yeah. So it was like this really crazy moment. So the Sleuths are definitely still doing a lot of these cases today. But now a lot of this is because the government's going to them and being like, hey, you know, what do you have on this defendant? Sometimes it's before they charge cases. Sometimes it's when a case is about to be brought to trial. Sometimes it's before sentencing. So, you know, they really are relying upon this outside technology and this outside group to really bring these cases to fruition just because I think of how outdated Uh, The technology is within uh, the FBI and within the federal government. The idea that really the federal government is so behind with technology, it's just because these things are not getting funded or is there something I'm missing here? What's surprising about this is, you know, there's so many conspiracy theories now on the right right right. January 6th. And like, really, the explanation is like really in line what with what used to be conservative ideology that government is ineffective, big government is bad, right. and the private sector is better. And I really think in this instance, this sort of illustrates that because you know innovation is just not going to be a huge thing within government. And you know the joke within the FBI is we have yesterday's technology tomorrow. <laughs> They're just really behind, and you know. That's this sort of maddening thing is seeing all these conspiracy theories about the FBI pulling all these strings and organizing all these pieces. And then, you know, I'm sorting through thousands of pages of FBI email and it's like sent through my Samsung device and like, mm-hmm, how mm-hmm, do you mm-hmm, send a contact mm-hmm. card? And just the most <laughs> bureaucratic things that you could possibly imagine. And it's just like, no, like, even if you set aside the issue of whether or not the FBI is just that like evil, like it's the competency <laughs> and is a real issue there in terms of just, you know, them being able to push forward and complete a lot of these sort of schemes that a lot of people seem to believe uh, that they're behind. So, I mean, I would just encourage people to like, look at some of these emails and really that like this is about bureaucracy. And I think that that's one thing that the January 6th committee sort of did leave sitting on the floor. And one thing that I ended up focusing a lot on in the book is just sort of lead up to January 6th and a lot of the technological failures. Uh, Just one of the most like like head slapping moments was that the FBI had their entire system set up on this one social media monitoring tool. And they were using that to basically look for any really threatening communications in the lead up to January 6th. And as it turned out, the FBI procurement office had renegotiated a contract a year earlier. And oh, lo and behold, it was expiring on uh, New Year's Eve as 2020 transitioned to 2021. 
And so you had this whole new system and they didn't even have logins for it yet on December 31st. And they were trying to go from, you know, one system to the other. And it just, it was just a, a catastrophe, right? They were not prepared and all their systems were set up on one platform and they could not possibly have set that up in time. And you see these sort of panicked emails being sent on December 31st in the middle of like, you know, basically two weeks of vacation for the feds talking about, oh my my gosh, you know, we need to get something. Why don't we have these logins yet? What's going on here? So those sort of bureaucratic hurdles and just sort of being buried in bureaucracy was a really big thing here. Thank you, Ryan. You are amazing. Appreciate you. Thanks so much for having me. That's it for this episode of Fast Politics. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to hear the best minds in politics make sense of all this chaos. If you enjoyed what you've heard, please send it to a friend and keep the conversation going. And again, thanks for listening. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. All-inclusive vacations make life easy with endless eats, bottomless drinks, and never-ending fun. So booking an all-inclusive vacation should be easy too, right? That's where Apple Vacations comes in. Book your all-inclusive getaway with Apple Vacations and receive exclusive perks at select resorts. You'll find the best deals at Ryu Hotels and Resorts in Mexico, the Caribbean, and Central America. And enjoy a selection of exclusive non-stop vacation flights. Turn on easy mode at applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started. Visit applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable.